Exodus chapter 17, please. We are considering my role and responsibilities as your pastor and your role and responsibilities as the congregation. I think we all understand we have been given the great commission by our Lord to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And therefore, our primary function, I believe we all would agree tonight, is that we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ to the lost. We are to fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. We are to broadcast the seed of God's Word, praying and crying out to the Lord of the harvest. Because only He can do a work in the heart. The overall mission is clear. But there tends to be less clarity when it comes to the day in and day out roles and responsibilities of the pastor and church. As a result, there is a great deal of misunderstanding surrounding the role of the pastor. God has led me to do this series because there are many wrong ideas and opinions out there about how a church is to function, particularly in the area of leadership. And it ends up leading to undue criticism and undue expectations upon the pastor. Our ideas, our opinions, there are criticisms for that matter. It's all shaped typically by our past experiences. And if you travel around at all, you have some experiences when it comes to church. <laughs> and so you have these opinions that may be shaped as a result of those experiences. Perhaps someone has experienced an arrogant, dictatorial pastor whose goal seems to just beat the sheep into submission. And that harsh experience has shaped your opinion of the pastorate. Perhaps someone has experienced a congregation which sought to control the pastor's every decision and they try to dictate what he's to preach for how long he is to preach and they view the pastor as nothing more than a puppet on a string who is there at their every bidding. Those experiences have shaped your opinions of a congregation. I can say this because I've been through all of these. And I know what it does to your thinking and your psyche and it, it makes you perk up with certain flags begin to come up, right? Because we've had our, our past has shaped us. I remember when my dad first started preaching at this new church, he became their pastor. A man came up to my dad and he basically informed my dad that his sermons were going too long. Well, that's the wrong person to say it to. And I'm sure my dad was sweet in his way. And he informed this guy who happened to be named guy that, um, yeah, Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, he informed him, I'll preach what God gives me, and I'll preach when God says I'm done. And guess what happened? He moved on to another church. Somebody has once said, if you stay, they'll go. If you go, they'll stay. And unfortunately, these negative experiences often lead to speaking in absolutes. That's always a key thing. When you're, when you're counseling somebody and you start to hear absolutes, I will never trust another pastor. I will never join another church. 
All pastors are the same. All churches are full of hypocrites. It's always the pastor. Or it's always the congregation. And to bust through these misconceptions that we get, shaped from our unfortunate experiences, we must be willing to go back to the Word of God. And let's see what God says about the issue between pastor and church. Let the Word of God shape your mind and heart. Let's see what God's plan is. Well, that's just a little reminder of why we're doing this study in the first place. So before you fall back on your past experiences to raise your criticisms, and it's interesting, we were just talking about this before service, in a sense, if you'll read between the lines here. Before you fall back, he wasn't criticized. Okay, i got to stop pointing, amen. Um, to the one that I was speaking to before church, and we fall back on these past criticisms. What does the Bible say? Now, last week I transitioned this series to the Old Testament. Remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen called the children of Israel coming out of Egyptian bondage the church in the wilderness. And therefore, we are now making application to Moses as a pastor and Israel as a church. Before I get any hate mail, I'm not preaching replacement theology <laughs> Okay, somebody's going to blow up. All right, we're making application. We saw last week from Exodus chapters 5 and 6 how the response of the congregation is going to affect the pastor. And the challenge last week for us was the need for us to back our God-called leaders and rally behind God's vision for the church, this church, and then watch as God works mightily. You see, once we do things God's way, we start setting the environment for God to bless. And we're going to see that even more so tonight. So here in chapter 17, and it's not that there's not applications to be made before we get to chapter 17. There are, but I believe where we need to be tonight. In fact, I'll just tell you this real quick. As the children of Israel come out of the land of Egypt by God's mighty power, they cross the Red Sea. They're about to cross the Red Sea in chapter 14. From that point all the way up to our text, in every chapter they're complaining. They're going to the leadership and they're mad. And they're complaining to Moses. Chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. But also what's interesting is in each case, God brought a miracle to the people through Moses or it was announced through Moses the one that they complained about is the one God is going to use to help them. So just be sweet to your pastor. Because there may, came, there may come a day that the one you've chided and murmured against is the one you're calling in the middle of your crisis. And listen tonight, men, if you're being called into the ministry, women for that matter, however you serve, you deal with parents and, and, and listen, however, however you're serving here, this really is for anybody, but if, if, if you're in the ministry, you better be ready to endure hardness. Not that it's all bad, it's not. There's been far more good than there's been bad. But you have to be ready to endure nonetheless, because one day the murmuring against you will turn to running to you, looking for deliverance, and you have to be willing to swallow your pride. 
And you can't let that shape who you are. That's what we're going to find in our text tonight. They need deliverance. And guess who they're going to have to look to? Moses. Let's begin reading in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. No doubt portions of this are very familiar to you if you've been faithful to church for any length of time. There's a lot of messages we could draw from this text. I'm going to try to stay on target to our series here. But we find that Amalek has come unprovoked to fight against Israel. I don't have time to get into the weeds here, but Amalek was actually related to the children of Israel. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. But Esau despised his birthright, and he's a picture of those who hate God's blessings. And so much like the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael are still fighting to this day in the Middle East, the descendants of Amalek are going to go to battle with Israel here in our text, though they are related. Now, the children of Israel had just recently experienced a great deliverance out of Egypt. That's a picture of our salvation. But here they're only about two months in, and they're already facing a battle. God took care of the Egyptians for them. But now they're going to have to fight. And I can tell you that battles are still going to come your way even after times of great deliverance. Don't expect just because that you are now in Christ, the battles are now over. They've only just begun. What an encouragement, amen? But listen, don't let that discourage you. We're going to find here at the end of this chapter that we don't fight for victory but we fight from a position of victory. It's often true that behind every great blessing will be an unexpected battle. And typically, the greater the blessing, the significant the battle is going to be. And understand that Israel has no experience when it comes to warfare here. They don't know what they're doing. And it makes their enemies look like they're unstoppable. How can we defeat Amalek? By all human reasoning, Israel is the natural underdog. And it would seem that this battle should be a bloodbath 
with Amalek walking over and wiping out Israel, no problem. But these slaves who have been turned soldiers are now going to fight this unexpected battle against an enemy that's stronger than them and more experienced than them, but they're going to be blessed to come out victorious. And it wasn't because of some great military strategy on their part. It wasn't because of some human ingenuity. Rather, they win because God is on their side. We can always be assured of victory when the Lord is on our side. But in light of our series tonight, I want to just consider for a moment how victory comes through proper structure. We need to understand how God provides victory in our church. Victory is given by God to the people of God as they battle in the will of God, structured, structured according to God's plan. And we see in verse 9 that Moses gives Joshua an order. Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. And then Moses says, I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. And so we find there is a leader in Moses, and there is a follower in Joshua. And sometimes we have a misunderstanding in regard to victory because we don't really know where the leaders are supposed to be and where the soldiers are supposed to be. Joshua, he's down in the valley. Moses is up on the hill. And it isn't because Moses is a better man than Joshua. But it's because Moses and Joshua have different roles in leading Israel to victory. Both roles are valid. And both roles are valuable. But they can't both be doing the same thing. Moses is up on the hill with the rod of God with his arms up, holding the rod of God in both hands. We know it's both hands because they're holding up both hands. And it's a position of intercession. That's a picture of prayer. We often think this is a picture of praise. But when you look in the Old Testament, you'll find it's a position of prayer as well. In Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple, he mentioned those who would spread forth their hands in prayer at the house of God. In fact, you'll find the Bible tells us when he began his prayer, he's got his arms spread out towards heaven. So get the picture here. While the army of Israel is in the valley fighting their natural enemy, Moses, the man of God, is up on the hill fighting their spiritual enemy. Just because Moses doesn't have a sword in his hand, it doesn't mean that the leader isn't fighting. And and we see in verse 10 that along with Moses on the hill, there's Aaron and her, who is in fact a hymn. And sometimes this is where problems in the structure can occur. Sometimes those fighting in the valley can become envious of those up on the hill. Most are probably good with Moses. We understand there's got to be Uh, A man of God up there, there's got to be somebody leading. We understand there needs to be a Joshua down in the valley fighting. But there are usually those who don't like it when Aaron and Hur get invited up to the hill. All these are still down here in the valley fighting. 
But listen to me, please. Don't get mad if you're not the one who is currently positioned to lead. By the way, do you know that this is the first time Joshua is mentioned in the Bible? Obviously, at this point, Joshua isn't in the position to stand up on the hill with Moses yet. And your present proximity to the leader doesn't determine your future position. High positions are often reserved for those who have learned to work in low places down in the valley. Notice the beginning of verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. You know, Joshua was just simply obedient. Joshua served and ministered to Moses for years. He learned from Moses. And for you young preachers, you need to come alongside your church leaders and learn from them. Joshua is the man who's going to succeed Moses. But you're not ready to lead up on the mountain until you learn to serve somewhere down in the valley. Joshua did as Moses said. Now we have an entire book called Joshua. He's the one that's going to lead Israel into the promised land. And it all started back here when Joshua learned to be obedient. Your future position will be determined by your ability to humble yourself and do what is asked of your leaders in low places while you are living with a greater expectation. A person seeking a greater position often has to function in a low place in order to be proven. I know some of this is counter to today's message in the world. But this is the real world. I didn't just become pastor. There were years of faithful service beforehand. And it all started, listen young people, it all started when I learned to obey my parents. You say, that's not true. Yes, it is. And your character is revealed by how well you obey. Let me see how clean your room really is. Now, if your dad's a bum and doesn't care, so be it. But what task did he give you to do? I shouldn't have said bum. That came out really wrong. Amen. If your dad's really cool. Um, anyway, it all starts all the way back in childhood, to be honest with you. You can overcome that. Don't get me wrong. But that's where it should start. And parents, you ought to teach your children to do as they are instructed while they are in the home. Amen. Not just a minute, not just as soon as I finish this game, not just as soon as I get through to this level, but when I tell you to do something, you do it. Amen. This isn't family time. Teach them to do chores. <gasps> and children, your character begins to show. I remember how mine was. It wasn't great. All right, I'm just saying, those are our developing times. After moving out, I had to learn to be obedient to a different authority. I'll move out and get out under my dad's authority. I'll join the military. So now I had to learn to be obedient there. I had to learn to salute smartly. Amen, Airman? I had to follow the orders of those appointed over me. And then God called me to preach. But I was still working down in the valley. I did what my pastors asked me to do. I taught the classes they asked me to do. Even though I don't like working with children. 
Remember that experience? Boy, that was fun. Hey, can you fill in for like the six and seven-year-olds? Yes, sir. Yeah, that was the only time. I preached where I was asked to preach. I taught classes I was asked to teach. I made the visits I was made to ask or asked to make. And even still, I was cleaning the toilets, taking out the trash. I mowed the lawns. I weed-eated a 12-acre property every week. I helped Pastor Williams put siding on his house. I was there trying to help when the addition to the print press was there. I say try to help because I'm of really of no value. But the rest of you made it look pretty fun. Working at the press. I'm just simply saying I, I just stayed obedient and stayed faithful to God and to God's man. And yes, I had higher hopes through all of that. I didn't want to just cap out in the Sunday school department. Not that that's a bad thing, but I knew deep down God had something else for me. And you just keep, you just keep at it, and you keep obeying, and you keep serving everywhere you're asked. All the while thinking, Lord, I know that there is something else you have for me. But when we first meet Joshua, he's not in charge. He's not even invited to go up to the hill with Moses. But he's doing grunt work down in the valley. And Joshua can see these men up on the hill while he's down in the valley stepping in the blood and the entrails and smelling all of that stink. Working his tail off. But he is faithful in the valley. Which is why later on he's going to be trusted by Moses to be there when Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the law of God. He's up there a little way. He may not be all the way up there. That was reserved for Moses and God. But you remember Joshua is the one saying, Hey, Moses, sounds like they're having a party down there. Well, sounds like they're having war. Which apparently is how a party sounds like. I don't know. Nobody ever invites me to their parties. Amen. And I just want to tell you, the valley isn't a bad place to be if that's where you've been called to be for now. And why had God called Joshua to the valley? It was because God was preparing him to be a great man of war who was going to lead Israel through the wars of Canaan. And you may not appreciate what it is God has you doing right now, but it could be God is preparing you for a future task by putting skills into you that He's going to use in the future. I can now easily see how God very definitely used my military career to help make me a pastor. Just stay faithful. This is God's structure. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a leader on the hill interceding and there are soldiers in the valley fighting. But not only do we need proper structure... But next we see that leadership needs proper support. Joshua is understanding of his role in the valley, while Aaron and her understand their role up on the hill. Notice again verses 11 and 12. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and her stayed up his hands. The one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so here's Moses 
in this position of intercessory prayer for Israel while they're in battle below. He holds the rod of God up, praying for the people because they are too weak to win in the valley without spiritual intercession. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the two primary responsibilities of a pastor, according to Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, is continual prayer and ministry of the Word of God. And you ought to be thankful if you've got a leader that's praying for you. I know the longs pray for our youth. I know that. I pray for you. Our deacons pray for you. Listen, we all should be praying for each other. None of us are exempt. But we need spiritual intercession because we are too weak in ourselves. And so here's Moses praying. When his hands are up, Israel prevails. When his hands drop down, Amalek prevails. The Bible says Moses' hands were heavy. Now it would seem easy enough to keep your arms up holding a rod in your hands. Give it enough time, amen? I remember when I was playing basketball in high school and our coach would get mad at us, we'd have to run laps holding a basketball above our head. I remember, this is so stupid. About 10 laps in. (laughs) I mean, that little basketball got really heavy. That was a squirt, but still, I mean, you know, and so he's holding this rod and, and we may think, man... It gets heavy is what I'm saying, and his, his hands here are getting heavy, and if you give it enough time, anything becomes heavy. And so what we find is that even strong leaders get tired. And don't miss this, tired to the point that simple tasks become heavy burdens. Some of you remember why I started this series. Sometimes you hit a point it's just heavy. You say, what's so hard about it? You work two days a week. Even two days a week, it's heavy. <laughs> Weary to the point that even simple tasks become a burden. And we can see here that Aaron and her are there to help the man of God fulfill his God-given role. And the pastor is going to need some men who will come alongside of him and help in his burdens and help him to fulfill God's call upon his life. Because I want you to notice these two men, they go up there to help, but they do so with the right heart. Don't miss this. Either one of these men could have turned to Moses and said, Moses, you know, you've been holding that rod a long time. If you just let me hold it for a while. Maybe that'd be a help to you. No. They had enough sense to know that rod is not my responsibility. But that belongs to Moses. You say, what are you getting at? Pastors need some men who will come alongside of them, not gunning for the pulpit. Some men that are just there to say, look, I just want to be a blessing. I see you're weak right now. Let me hold your arms up. You see, some are on the hill because they really just want to pick up the rod if it should fall from the man of God's hands. Some just want to be up there taking selfies in the same proximity because they think the hill is the place where they can feel validated. They want to be celebrated and appreciated, but their motives are all wrong. And the truth is, and for you guys in leadership, the truth is sometimes there are those 
who show up on the hill with you, they don't really love you. They don't really love the man of God. They just want to be on the hill because they equate that somehow to being close with God. But understand this, when you are fighting down in the valley where God wants you to be, then you don't have time to scheme your way up the hill. It's amazing when we just stay busy with what it is God has called us to do. We don't have time. Somebody put it this way, those that are rowing the boat don't have time to rock it. So here's Moses and he's gotten weak. He's an imperfect man. He's a flawed man. But he cannot continue the constant work of intercession without the help of Aaron and her. And so they come alongside Moses. They say, Moses, you've been standing an awful long time. Here's a stone. Why don't you just sit down for a little bit and let us help you. And so they sit Moses down and each one of them gets on either side of Moses and they, whatever the position is, they, they take his hands and they make sure that it stays up. And, and I want you to get this, please. I know it's going to sound self-serving, but I'm the only one up here right now. And I want to tell you, when you can see that your pastor has become weak, you have to find a way not to talk about him negatively. Don't criticize. Don't find fault. This is not the time to doubt and question. But this is the time that I would need you to get up under my arms. I can keep my hands up. You see, the outcome of the battle in our text was dependent upon Moses' hand staying up. Now, I don't know how far to apply that in our day, just to be honest with you. So I'll just say this. God's structure is to help the man of God when he gets weak. And when you see him get weak, don't start grumbling, but do something to help. You know what this meant for Aaron and her? They had to humble themselves. You know, I don't know how they kept Moses' hands up. I don't know if they just stand there and tried to hold him up. But I'd imagine at some point with Moses sitting, they're getting tired of standing and maybe they're going to want to sit. Maybe they just got under there and let them... I don't know how it happened, but perhaps that is it. And it's a picture of them humbling themselves there before the man of God. I don't know. Either way, they had to humble themselves. They're not trying to take over. They're maintaining that, Moses, we know you're weak, but we know you're still God's man. They're not seeking to take the rod, but simply to help do what God told him to do. They see Moses as their leader. They give themselves to it. And though Moses was just a man, he still was God's man. Doing what God told him to do. They stayed his arms so there would be victory. And you have to decide to humble yourself low enough to support your leader when the work gets heavy. You hear what I'm saying? Because that is often the time, how many times have we seen it, that the arrows start to be shot. I knew his heart wasn't right. I knew he would fail. I knew he, I knew he was just trying to take I, I knew this all along. Pastoring a church, you tired. Now, that's the polite way to say, pastoring you people makes me tired. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that. And so I hope you will purpose to be there when my hands begin to fall. Be one who determines that on my watch, 
my pastor's hands will not come down. And as a result, Aaron and her helping Moses, at the end of verse 12, it says, his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And in verse 13, Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Victory has come to Israel this day. And I'll have to save most of this for another message, but God tells Moses, write down what took place for a memorial and rehearse it to Joshua. This victory is being recorded for future reference. Remind Joshua because this isn't going to be the last battle that Joshua is going to have to lead. I need him to know that I will be with him in every battle when he seeks me first. Joshua, don't forget, while you were fighting below, there was a man of God praying for you up above. And now they would have the testimony that it wasn't Moses who guaranteed the victory, but it was God. And when Joshua goes to battle, he needs to know that every time he needs to cry out to God. And also, listen, there was going to come a day that Moses would no longer be there. And Joshua needed to know it wasn't Moses. But I can go to the one Moses was going to. Understand who it is that delivered you. Joshua, don't forget it was the Lord. Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. You see, He's the God who is with you in battle. And ultimately, the enemy has already been defeated. So we don't have to fight for victory, but we fight from the position of victory. We know that in the end, God wins. How exciting. Amen. I like to be on a winning team. We get to be parts of His victory. We win because our God is a God of battle. And victory's already been won by Christ. And the Romans 8.31 If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.37 In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. 1 John 4.4 4, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Joshua did his part. Moses did his part. Aaron and Hur did their part. This is God's structure for victory. We need some soldiers down in the valley. And we need a man of God up on the hill interceding. And we need those who will come alongside and properly support those leaders. If you sense God is using your life in the ministry one day, can I tell you, don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. I know it's tempting. But just keep serving God. And I say this with all humility, but keep serving God's man. And in time, God is going to elevate you. And I can say that now from a position of experience. So I want to ask you tonight, church, are you on the battlefield for your Lord? I'm going to die on the battlefield for my Lord. You hear me? I want to be in the battle. You know the ones that get to tell you how it's going? It's the one on the front lines. Are you on the battlefield tonight? If you are, let me tell you, keep on fighting. If you're not, you need to enlist. 
And you may be fighting in the valley, but don't fear. The Lord is on your side. We have a God who will fight for us and with us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is God's structure. If you need to do business with God, after I pray, I invite you to come speak to the Lord. Our Father, we love you. Thank you for your word as our blueprint as a church. Help us to be structured properly that we might set the right environment that there might be victory. Listen, church, as you're bowing right now, is there anybody that you need to go to and make something right? Maybe you need to go to a leader in this church and say, I'm sorry. I have not been supporting you like I know I should. We need to make these things right. We need to have unity in this church. Father, do a work in the heart now that only you can do for Christ's sake. Amen.